Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Welcome to World Today, a news program with a different perspective. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. In this edition of the show, we discuss Chinese tourism bureaus competing for internet fame and tourist traffic. As more and more Chinese return to their pre-pandemic leisure habits, local cultural and tourism bureaus in various parts of the country are exploring new and creative ways to attract tourists. Some bureau bosses have made themselves stars with costume dances, impromptu singing, and historical reenactments. Some bureaus resorted to the influence of celebrities, asking for their help to introduce culture and tourist sites. Others offer free or discounted admissions. So, what does such competition tell us about today's China, its officials, and its economy? Apart from tourism, what other opportunities are presenting themselves for cities and provinces in China that are transforming from a reliance on heavy industry to high-quality development? Now, for these questions and more, I'm joined by Dr. Zhou Mi, senior research fellow with Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, Professor Doug Guthrie, director of China Initiatives at Thunderbird School of Global Management. Also, we have Mike Basting, China observer and senior lecturer at University of Southampton in the United Kingdom. Thank you, gentlemen, for talking to me on this very important and interesting topic. Now, first up,、um, reports about you know the competition among these Chinese、uh, tourism bureau chiefs,、uh, bureau、uh, bosses are all over the internet these days、uh, and reported by major media outlets in China.、Uh, maybe let me start、uh, with Dr. Zhou Mi. So. Um, when you first heard about the report and see、uh, saw the images of dancing and singing, what was your first reaction? What do these competitions reflect about today's China? I think that when I first noticed、mm. this、uh, video, I I found it's a、uh, very interesting and impressive because those people are really trying to work very hard to attract the you know the different guys or they are using the these、uh, images, their dances or singing to to trying to、uh, attract more people. I, I mean, not only from the from the videos, but also to go there themselves. You know that China is a very big country, or not only big. We have so many diversities, so there are so many nationalities, and the complicated geographic has made it a, a well a well diversified for the cultures, for costumes, for even、uh, kind of the drinks. So I think that is a kind of a very important way for the development in the certain areas. They want to use these、uh, different methods, and it's a、uh, real impressive because、uh, we we can find we can find out. From these videos, that maybe many of them are not professional,、mm-hmm. but they are still working hard to be more professional, to do a lot of things to trying to make the people are, who are watching these videos to have a better memory and they have more interest to go there.、Mm. Well, some media have、uh, coined you know this kind of competition, neijuan in Chinese or involution, which is、uh, a word from anthropology,、um, meaning both hard work and also the Strive uh, to uh, you know for better work、um, among the Chinese cultural bureau、uh, chiefs. Now, Professor Guthrie,、um, you've been a long time watcher on the Chinese、uh, economy. What's your take? What's your initial thought on this?、Uh, thank you for having me.、Um, since you just mentioned anthropology, I'll bring in sociology, <laughs>、uh, which is my discipline. But you know, my favorite、uh, article ever written about the the development of the economic reforms in China was written in 1995 by my favorite sociologist Andrew Walder,、mm-hmm. and he writes about. Uh, economic development in China really being tied to what he calls local governments as industrial firms,、mm-hmm. and the thing that I think it really fits with exactly what you're doing, and it's what I think is so smart about China's economic development path, is that you know local municipalities and local bureaus within these municipalities are they're treated like managers and they have KPIs and they have to deliver economic development through growth,、mm-hmm. uh, and so. You know, myself. I've interviewed a lot of bureau directors in commerce and in a number of different areas. I haven't done so much in the tourist sector of the economy, but it, you see the same thing where they have to come up with a plan. 
And the plan is really about increasing their KPIs, which are attraction of, of investment through tourism. Mm. And they come up with strategies for this. And so, you know, I mean, I, I think you're going to mention Zippo in, in a little bit, mm-hmm. but, you know, it was fascinating to watch the case of Zippo. Like, what are we going to do if the manufacturing, you know, given COVID and the manufacturing supply chain isn't the same as what it was? Well, let's let's smoke meat. Mm. And so, you know, I think it's a it's a fascinating model of economic development where you really have heads of bureaus, in this case, tourism, that are focused very deeply on how do you make your place attractive and how do you get attention and how do you get people to come? Um, and, you know, for me, it's really about economic development and, and really meeting the KPIs of their local municipalities. Mm, a lot of accountability, you know, for these officials. Mike, uh, yeah. welcome to the show again. What's your what's your initial reaction to these, uh, you know, competition? Um, well, I, I echo the, the, the comments already. And, and, and further, I, I would say it's very, very fascinating. It's very exciting that uh, I think and quite long overdue that um, – Mm. Regional parts of China, you know, local uh, culture, local heritage, which, is, as we know, dates back you know, thousands of years. China is is pretty much unique in its history and its heritage and its diversity. And it's very exciting that local government uh, seem to be spearheading this. They're actually promoting this much better and much more actively. Uh, and, and consumers are really warming to this and, and really reveling in that experience and, and looking at different cultures, different subcultures across China. Uh, so, so it's a real boost for the economy, but it's very, very exciting that um, really for, for, it's been happening for a few years now. In my industry, fashion, we, we see this with, with younger Chinese fashion designers using traditional Chinese elements more and more. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this, this is really um, related to this. Uh, but it's really taken off now, particularly with Harbin, the Harbin experience this year. Uh, and we see quite a few cultural and tourism bureau, uh, bureaus actually going to Harbin to actually showcase their local culture. So Indeed. As, you, you know, as you've read in the news, you know, Sichuan, Guangxi and Hebei, for example. So, so I think it, it, it's, it's much, much more than, than just sort of showcasing local culture um, and a, a short-term boost for the economy. I think it's really China finding its voice and finding its, its really its identity. It's refinding its cultural identity, which can only be a good thing. And I think this will promote international development of Chinese brands as well, who will carry this local cultural message mm. more and more as they are doing in fashion. So right. Very exciting. Mm. Well, Professor Guthrie already mentioned Zibo in Shandong province and uh, Mike mentioned Harbin in Heilongjiang province. Actually, these two are the typical examples uh, that have, uh, you know, pr- promoted such kind of, uh, joined such kind of competition. Some analysis point these competition to the fact that quite a portion of cities trying new ways to promote local tourism fall into this category. Cities are based in northern China, used to have growth pillars in heavy industry, but recent growth are lack of momentum. Um, again, you know, the examples are Zibo in Shandong province and Harbin in Heilongjiang. Um, now, um, Dr. Zhou Min, do you, do you agree with such analysis? Why or why not? Yeah, I, I'm I'm not totally agree with this mm-hmm. uh, opinion because if you are looking at the structure, the economic structure or industrial structure in the northeast China, they are still have a very strong abilities in the manufacturings, and the manufacturings are not only for the very very important you know the machineries, but also for some kind of uh, what we use for today. I mean for the daily use in the house, and these are still their capabilities, and they have the base and they also have some of the raw materials. So they still have a very uh, good competitiveness. If you are looking at the data for the recent years, you may mm-hmm. still find that there are more international trade happened in the northeast, northeast China, but they still try to find something different because it's in the winter. In the winter, it's uh, quite different in China, mm-hmm. not like in the summer. Maybe the temperature between the north and the south are not only several centigrades, but in the winter, there are maybe 50 the degrees differences between this uh, north and the south. So I think that they are trying to have, uh, you know, the meet with the south and the north, and they found that there are so many differences that we can enjoy the differences by exploring that. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I think that for the development of one economy, one uh, local economy or provinces, it sh- should not only based on just the one source. So they have to find some more diversities about the development, not only from the, the manufacturing or agriculture or services. They should have some more merge or resilience in the such a changing world, which we will also face with the technology development. I, I believe that is a kind of uh, the future of the purposes of many of the local uh, governments in China. Mm. Now, Professor Guthrie, um, well, what's your thought? Um, you know, the, such kind of analysis that I mentioned. You know, these um, cultural bureau, uh, cultural and tourism bureaus often fall into the kind of place where you know they used to rely on heavy industry development. And you know, are these uh, cultural and tourism bureaus uh, bosses? I mean, are they desperate or not in in trying new things? <laughs> Well, I, 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 the word "desperate" sounds sounds a little bit negative to me, and I would mm. put it in a more positive light. Again, to emphasize what I just said in my previous answer, you know, I think everybody is under pressure, and everybody has to think about economic development, and they do act like managers of of parts of industry. Let's call them business units mm. that have KPIs that they have to deliver on, uh, and part of delivering on those KPIs is being innovative. They have to think about, you know, okay, so, so we don't have the same kind of income and same kind of traffic from heavy industry. What, how are we going to contribute to the economic development of this place? Now, that one of the things that I think is so positive here, mm. uh, and I'm going to display my own hand about, you know, mm. like in the United States, we think so much about economic development and local economies that you don't find local officials that. Think creatively about well, what is our cultural heritage, or、mm. what is our history here that allows us to really position ourselves to attract people from across the country? And so, in China, I think it's a very there's a long history here and a beautiful history. And so, yes, there are areas that thrived in heavy manufacturing,、um, and they still do and still may continue into the future. But then those those directors of bureaus of tourism. Are under pressure to think. Well, what are we going to do to attract people? And there's a lot. There's thousands of years of history in some of these places, and so there's a very interesting model about how do we create that narrative to attract tourism and attract attract renminbi、mm. into our area. And so I think it's it's fascinating and 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 inspiring.、Mm, right. right, Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike, what what's your thought?、Yeah. How do you respond? You know, to what Professor Guthrie and Dr. Joe had just said. Yeah, again, I'm broadly in agreement. I think the certainly the Rust Belt parts of China, you know, the manufacturing、um, heartland, obviously northeast China, Changchun、mm. and Cars, Dongbei generally, but also Shandong,、um, do need to diversify. And I think this has spurred the local governments on quite a bit. They get, you know, they get quite a lot of freedom and, and, and targets that they have to meet um, um, sent down by central government. So it, it is quite、um, demanding, quite competitive, and the economy is not quite as、um, growing as rapidly as it was. So yes, I think the, the, the move towards tourism and the service sector generally is inevitable, particularly where provinces rely heavily on manufacturing. And as economies develop, you know, economic history tells a, a very clear picture, doesn't it, that、uh, economies move、uh, towards the service sector more, seventy, eighty percent, and manufacturing declines as an economy. Um, matures uh, and, and becomes、uh, a sort of full market economy, which the Chinese economy has really become now.、Mm. Uh, so, so yes, I do think it had something to do with it, and I think it's a, again a very smart move.、Uh, and I can only see it going from strength to strength, and other、um, other sectors building on this as well. And manufacturing still playing an important role, but but a secondary role behind the service sector, tourism in particular. Mm. Well, we're going to a short break, but we, when we come back, we'll take a look at you know the outside the situation outside China that have、uh, are related somewhat to this、uh, competition among China's cultural and tourism bureaus. You're listening to World Today. We'll be right back. As one of CGTN Radio's most popular programs, World Today provides listeners with a strong mix of international news and business. It delivers in-depth analysis of current affairs and one-on-one interviews, bringing you the stories behind the news—not just what's happening, but why.
Welcome back to World Today. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. In this edition of the show, we、we'll、discuss Chinese tourism bureaus competing for internet fame and tourist traffic. Now, continue with our discussion. As I mentioned earlier, in a recent investigative piece, a U.S. news agency、um, Bloomberg reported that Chinese travelers, once the biggest spenders on overseas trips, have been staying close to home since China reopened the borders,、uh, and this is costing the global travel economy 130 billion U.S. dollars. And this piece attributed、uh, this phenomenon to a number of reasons, including disruption in global air. Lines, political frictions among countries, purpose of saving money, etc. Now, Dr. Zhou, what do you make of this, and how much has the the cultural and tourism bureau comp- competition among Chinese cities to do with this trend, Dr. Zhou? Yeah,、mm-hmm. I agree with that. Yeah, you know there are so many kind of uh, uh, factors affecting the people's willingness and abilities to travel to another place. Maybe some of them domestically, some of them to go to another country. Well, the COVID is a really a very, very big impact on the people's the income. They were have less income and they were not able to go to the the place they want to go because it's、uh, more expensive than. Than before, well,、uh, it's a it's a recovery in the recovery.、Uh, I mean, the process of recovery, but it's still a very slow one. So, in my understanding, that is a real、uh, problems for the people who are able to to go to some place to tour, have the tourism. But on the other hand, I still believe that、uh, you know the demand for the tourism will not change.、Mm-hmm. Maybe in the past we we will have more leisure time and we'll have. Have more money to go some、uh, the the places that we wanted to go for quite a while, but now we can choose more carefully about the first stop, and then we may do something like the what we call it the tour zhong bing, a kind of a, a very hairy and busy trip to arrange this、right. uh, this trip.、Mm-hmm. But we have to have more leisure. And I, I think that it is a, it is a true that people have to balance between the work and the leisure, and that is a kind of things that every people are able to do. Well, in this process, well, when China is、uh, getting are developed much quicker、uh, than the past, maybe more of the people are really want to have more leisure. We have. Pressures,、uh, uh, yes. As、uh, the, the expert has mentioned, that we have so many things to 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 worry about. So in this time, we especially want to have more, you know, the the kind of relax from the the tourism, and that is definitely one of the purposes of this.、Mm. Professor Guthrie, how do how would do you comment on the Bloomberg piece? And、um, is this kind of staying at home trip or travel,、uh, you know, also happening to Americans? Yeah. So, so my first reaction to the Bloomberg piece was、um, a little bit of fear and sadness, and and that's because I think we need an interconnected world. We need people to be interested in parts of the world outside of our own countries,、uh, and of course, the pandemic has affected this tremendously. So, you know, part of this was unforeseeable and and difficult, but it also has been tensions between the United States and China, for example, that I, 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 the Bloomberg piece raised.、Mm-hmm. And you know, my own institution, the Thunderbird School of Global Management, is was founded on the idea that borders frequented by trade seldom need soldiers, which means that the more we engage with each other, the more likely we are to be engagement partners. Right. And so, I, I, that part of it, I was just a little worried, and I want to continue to see people flowing across borders. I was just in China for the first time in four years in in mid December, and I was so happy to be back and. <laughs> Right. In my adopted homeland, because it really felt like yes, this is the place that I I love and have been studying for so long,、mm-hmm. and so the 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 looking inward, I think I would love to see the world continue to flow, and and Chinese tourists around the world have been just such a wonderful force in bringing Chinese culture to the rest of the world.、Mm-hmm. Now that being said,、um, I think the other part of the Bloomberg piece was that this has sort of kickstarted、uh, flows of capital in the tourist sector. Um, within China, and I think that's wonderful too. I think again to go back to this idea that local governments are really kind of thinking deeply about their local culture, and then building on that to build a product、um, is wonderful. And I think it's something that U.S.、Uh, administrators of cities should learn too.、Mm-hmm. Uh, some cities that have long histories, like New York and and a couple of San Francisco, they do this pretty naturally. But other cities that are Growing fast, like my new home, Phoenix.、Mm. Uh, we have to learn how to really build an identity around what it means culturally 
to be a part of Phoenix. And so I think the example that Chinese administrators are, are setting is wonderful. Mm. Mike, um, what's your thought and um, what's your observation of the, you know, the trend globally of tra- choosing to whether to travel domestically or internationally? Mike? I think it is, as mm. Professor Guthrie said, first of all, I think it is, it is a bit... Um, it's a bit of a worry, obviously, that the Chinese tourist, um, international tourist, um, generally spends uh, relatively quite large sums of money. You know, luxury brands are suffering as a result of that. A lot of trips to the sort of fashion capitals of the world, London, Paris, um, are you know the numbers are in decline most definitely. So it really is a tangible thing, and we've noticed it here in the UK last year for the first time in years. The number of uh, university students from China fell um, by a few percentage points and and demand seems to be lower this year as well. So I think that's related. I think it's got a lot to do with economic factors. Uh, But I'd also like to add that I think it's, again, it's related to the the, the local, the fascination with local culture and local tourism and and the the numbers visiting Harbin and and, and we'll see over the Spring Festival other parts of China. I think the Chinese consumer, the Chinese tourist is really looking much, much more uh, intently and sort of uh, much more fascinated with their local culture and cultural diversity across China, uh, as opposed to that sort of dream holiday in where it's America, Europe, and European capitals. I think the allure has sort of faded a little. So I think it's got something to do with sort of a new form of identity that um, that I think has been coming for a long time, particularly amongst younger the younger consumers, younger Chinese consumers. So it may be a trend that um, is here to stay. The positive side, as, as, as uh, Professor Guthrie outlined as well, is mm. that uh, it's led to uh, uh, an influx or an investment in local uh, culture, local economies across China, which is a good thing as well. But internationally, the picture may change, I'm afraid. Mm. Well, Mike, we have uh, around uh, a minute and a half before we go to another break. But uh, again, what's your thoughts on, you know, this trend of choosing to uh, travel domestically uh, instead of internationally? Is it also happening in Europe? Mike? Um, Mm. I think it's it's always happened to a certain extent in Europe. I Mm. I think um, Mm. economic factors, again, influence influence the, the travel sector most definitely. Um, so I think, yeah, obviously, as a result of the pandemic, and we're still in a sort of sluggish economic situation across Europe, and particularly in the UK, people will look to home more and look for we'll have holidays, the staycation, they call it, so vacation. So we're staying at home more, and they'll go to scenic parts of perhaps of the UK. The southwest is very popular, counties like Devon and Cornwall. Uh, and I suspect that's happening in other parts of Europe as well, largely due to economic factors. But I don't think there's this fascination with the culture and cultural diversity and heritage that there is in China with Chinese consumers. I think it's quite a different mentality. Mm. You're listening to World Today. We're having a panel discussion on Chinese tourism bureaus competing for internet fame and tourist traffic. Today we have with us Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, Professor Doug Guthrie, Director of China Initiatives at Thunderbird School of Global Management. Also, we have Mike Basting, China Observer and Senior Lecturer at the University University of Southampton in the United Kingdom. Now we are going to a short break, but we will come back. We we'll continue discussion, and we will focus on the local economic growth and growth pillars of these cities that are trying to transform themselves from their reliance on heavy industry to the high quality development that the Chinese government is promoting right now. This is World Today. We'll be right back. Chief Economist of Hang Seng Bank, China. The World Today is a real fun program. 
You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. In this edition, we discuss Chinese tourism bureaus competing for internet fame and tourist traffic. We have with us Dr. Zhou Mi, senior research fellow with Chinese Academy for International Trade and Economic Cooperation, Professor Doug Guthrie, director of China Initiatives at Thunderbird School of Global Management. Also, we have Mike Basting, China observer and senior lecturer at the University of Southampton in the United Kingdom. Continue with our discussion. Now, officials in the, these bureaus of culture and tourism really went out of their way to promote local tourist sites.、Um, Uh, as we already mentioned、uh, earlier, some went on social media themselves and sent out videos of singing and dancing. Others teamed up with celebrities to attract attention, and some of them offered free or、uh, free or discounted admissions for attractions during Spring Festival holiday.、Um, Dr. Zhou Mi, have officials, local officials in China, I mean, always have been this entrepreneurial. And what prompted you know them to take、uh, such great initiative? Yeah, we know that、uh, the、mm. the COVID has、uh, made the Chinese economy quite different. When we're able to recover from the pandemic, there are so many new things we have to explore. Maybe some of the things are to do with uh, economies, uh, local economy, but more of things are to do with the people. So I think that many of them are trying to find better, better, you know, supporting pillars or you know, interest point for the for the tourists to come. Especially in the Spring Festival, it's a really Very important time in China. We have the culture, we have the habits, or you know the the you know the trend to go around in China. Maybe it's it it is forecasted that in the spring festival season we will have more than nine. Uh, billion people,、uh, I mean, moving around China.、Indeed. So there, the the movement mo- means there will be more opportunities. So I think that、uh, many of these,、uh, you know, the the movement of people not only not only going back home, they may like to trying to go around using the vacations,、uh, the holidays. You know, there are also some policies with a free tour in the highways. So there are really、uh, some kind of opportunities for the local governments to think about that because the tourism is not only about the visiting. There are all Also include many other things like the the food, the restaurants, and also the shopping. So there are so many things that they can think about. And some of the intents are also included for the conferences and some of the visiting or even to take a medical treatment. So I think that、mm-hmm. all these、uh, you know the local governments are really want to find some more. You know the environment-friendly ways of development of recovery from the pandemic. Well, they have to improve the infrastructure. They have to make a different discounts or policies to attract the people because the places are there. Maybe they can not only. Trying to do with the hardware, they are thinking about some kind of、uh, softer things like the the festivals、uh, or sports or any other of、uh, you know the kind of、uh, gatherings. So、mm-hmm. these are、uh, quite possible for them to develop their own ways of attracting people. If this is successful, they may keep it for the next year. If it's not so successful, they can also learn from others. The short video platforms has、mm-hmm. put it、uh, in a much wider competition. I mean,、uh, compared with in the past, because the audience are on the internet, so they can trying to compete with the different places, and they can choose from them.、Mm. Now,、uh, Dr. Joe, again,、um, Professor Guthrie earlier said、uh, some, some local officials,、uh, local officials around China、uh, have KPIs, and they certainly manage, you know, local businesses.、Um, I mean, in, a, in uncertain aspects, do you think? Do you agree with him? And、uh, you know, are local officials in China、uh, like you know managers in certain businesses? 
Yeah, actually, in my understanding, it's uh, from uh, both ways. Uh, maybe KPI is one of the very important things because, you know, it's uh, just uh, the performance. How can we value the performance of certain officials? So we should try to focus on what they are managing. So for the tourist, it's a very easy and very universal standards. If we are looking about the, uh, looking at the achievements of certain kind of tourism related barriers, but I, I would see that they are also another factor we should consider that is from the, the you know the feeling of the people themselves mm. when the chiefs I, I mean the officials they are they are having more pressures from you know their friends their colleagues their leaders to look at how about another counties another cities they are doing quite interesting and I think that is not our uh, kind of uh, visible pressure maybe it's uh, from invisible from the from from the, the you know the feelings or some of their ownership I I would say. Mm. So I think that from both factors that uh, these officials are working very hard trying to to be uh, better, to be uh, special in this kind of competition. Mm. Now, Professor Gustry, um do officials in the uh, in the United States take similar initiatives? Are they uh, this entrepreneurial too? Well, it's a great question, and mm. and. I, I, without being too critical of my own country, I, I don't think so. Mm. Um, and the the real issue that I see as, as being important is that, again, to come back to this idea that local officials are given a charge, You, I thank you for, for echoing the KPIs idea <laughs> or exploring that. Mm. Um, but, you know, it, it, they are not only, I, I love also the use of the term entrepreneurialism and mm. innovative. Um, and, you know, my own university, the, the Thunderbird is a part of the Arizona State University, uh, prides itself on being an innovative hub. Mm. And when you when you travel in China, um, you find local officials thinking this way. Now, again, I deal less with people in, in tourism, but, you know, on my recent trip, I was in, in Zhenjiang and talking to one of the directors of the Bureau of Commerce, who's mm-hmm. responsible for attracting Zhenjiang in Jiangsu, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and just listening to that individual talk about entrepreneurialism and innovation and how he can a- attract capital to, to Zhenjiang, it, w- it was fascinating because it was really about um, how you develop a narrative about your place and how you make it interesting. Now, to come back to your question, do officials do this in the United States? My feeling is not in such an entrepreneurial or innovative or coordinated way. Mm. Of course, people who are responsible for attracting tourists and responsible for thinking about the narrative of a given place like New York City or Phoenix or Los Angeles or San Francisco, of course, they have to think about these issues and it's their job to think about it. But my sense is that it's not directly tied to a deep history or a narrative in the same way that Chinese officials, in particularly in the tourist, tourism bureaus, are thinking about it. So I think there's mm-hmm. something to learn from mm-hmm. how Chinese uh, local officials are doing it and to be inspired by. Mm. Mike, what about you? What's your observation about, you know, this um, entrepreneurship or an innovation, you know, do, do officials in the United Kingdom and in the UK, in, in, in Europe, uh, excuse me, in Europe, explore that too? Well, if we, if we treat the, the UK part of your question first, <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it, it makes me chuckle a little. It's not really the same at all. No, lo- local officials and local government are, you know, it's a very important job, very responsible, and they, they're looking after large sums of money, but typically they they're lobbying central government for, for perhaps more funds, more investment into local infrastructure, local healthcare, local education, for example. Mm. Uh, they're not very prominent in terms of promoting uh, heritage, local heritage, tourist sites. That tends to happen centrally, and there'll be tourism boards. So, so it's a very, very different um, situation here, uh, most definitely. So I think that the local government uh, officials in China really do need to be applauded. I mean, local government people here are probably anything but entrepreneurial. They're, they're really seen as sort of administrators, mm. and not, not the sort of um, innovators uh, that are really trying to, to boost the local economy at all. One thing I'd like to say on the, about this question, to so look at mm. it in slightly different ways, yes, the, the local officials have been very innovative, very entrepreneurial, and it's great to see that. Uh, but I think it's only really been successful because Chinese people really value this now, value it more. 
Uh, I don't think if you promote something, however cleverly, however innovatively you you promote something, it's not going to be successful. It's not going to be consumed unless the consumer really does value that. So I think that's also got to be noted. That's what's changed. So Chinese tourists, Chinese consumers generally value their local heritage and the diversity of their uh, local cultures and the heritage that goes with that much, much more. Uh, perhaps they always did, but they just have confidence in that. And that's really what we're seeing coming through now. So mm-hmm. Chinese people finding themselves, finding their identity, if I could be so grand, much more in their local heritage. Uh, and and uh, government officials need to be applauded. Local officials need to be applauded because they have been innovative and entrepreneurial, but they've spotted this change in mentality amongst Chinese people, again, particularly younger generations. So I think that really has to be noted here. But the UK, very, very different. Even though we do have some fantastic tourist sites, obviously London and and elsewhere, Mm. uh, universities, Oxford, Cambridge. I'm lucky to live in the Cathedral City of Winchester, which has a lot of historic historic elements, uh, but local government not really actively involved. Mm. Very interesting point because uh, in recent years there are reports, uh, you know, media reports showing that Chinese people, especially the younger generation, are getting, are having more uh, and more appreciation about the Chinese culture and Chinese identity. But that will be the topic for another hour. So, um, again, back to the local economies. Um, prior to the pandemic, um, Dr. Zhou. What have been the main growth pillars for local economies in different Chinese provinces uh, in northern China, generally speaking? I know different provinces have different conditions. And do you agree that for northern China, the real estate industry is one of those pillars? Yeah, I I mean, uh, in my opinion, it's uh, not that important because the real estate, uh, they are one of the sectors. Well, if you are looking at the prices in the uh, real estate, I mean, in the northern part of China, especially to the, I mean, the northern is uh, maybe uh, in the northeast of China, the prices of the real estate is not that high compared with uh, the main cities in in Beijing, uh, Shanghai, and Guangzhou. But Mm. uh, they are fairly you know, uh, the the I mean, the prices are decided uh, by the people who want to buy it, who are going to sell it. That is the balance between this the demand and the supply. But for some time, for quite a while, I would say that uh, northeast of China, there are many people are going to other places to find opportunities. So for them, that is not enough attractiveness for attracting the investors to to build the houses. And it is also not so uh, operational for them to have uh, much higher prices. So I I think that the real estate uh, should be our kind of, uh, you know, in the places when it's have a, a a kind of uh, natures, not only for the people to live, but also for the people to to try to do some investment. In those places, these uh, districts are more, uh, you know, related or dependent on the real estate. Well, it's mm-hmm. uh, still are de- depends on maybe for some provinces, uh, like for the for the for the provinces of Liaoning, there are more mm-hmm. people gathering in that places. For the big cities, they are more flourished in the in the real estate, but for other uh, provinces, maybe that people are not so in the in the density. So I would say that uh, even while looking at uh, the different provinces, it's definitely varied a lot. But uh, recently, I, I noticed that the differences between the different provinces are shrinking. So mm. uh, it's more returning to the normal ways of the houses to make the people to live instead of just for the investment. Mm. Um, Professor Guthrie, what's your thought on, you know, the role of uh, the real estate, uh, real estate industry in, you know, the economy in different provinces in northern China prior to the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is an area that's gotten a lot of attention lately. Uh, and, you know, China is not the only place in the world, uh, the United States included, that struggles with this because real estate requires such intensive capital investment and the allocation of space and investment in the space. And then you're dealing with the building of, of these assets on the assumption that people are going to move and prices are going to go up and, you know, you're going to have this thriving metropolis area. And so 
So, you know, China, this has been the focus of a lot of analyses of Chinese economy and what's what some of the difficulties China is facing right now. But it's not unique to China. This is just a, it's a really tough area. Now, to go back to the issue of local economic development and plans for economic development, it's not surprising. And it's it's even the right thing that that officials have focused on building high quality real estate infrastructure uh, to attract people to live in these areas. Um, and mm-hmm. my sense is that there's a little bit too much concern uh, or, or just it, mm-hmm. we're moving a little too fast in assuming that this is a deep problem. I mean, remember my mm-hmm. own country uh, less than 20 years ago had just a real estate crisis that affected the economy significantly and we dug our way out of it. And so I think that Yes, real estate is a fundamental part of the economic development story. Yes, it's a big risk because you have to commit the land and commit the assets to building. And yes, you're assuming that the economies are going to grow up and attract people. But I think that that this still has a long way to play out. And so I think it's going to be okay. Mm. Well, you're listening to World Today. We're going to a short break, but when we come back, we'll take a look at the prospect of high quality development for China's local economies. Stay with us. Hello, my name is Alessandro Golombievski Teixeira. I'm a professor of public policy management at Tsinghua University in Beijing. I am a great listener of The World Today. In my opinion, The World Today is one of the best China radio programs. In The World Today, we can get the best news and analysis in what is happening now in the world. So please, come to join us. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. In this edition, we'll discuss Chinese tourism bureaus competing for internet fame and tourist traffic. Now to continue, uh, Mike, for provinces, Chinese provinces constantly making into the top 10 of annual GDP growth. Um, what are what have local governments done right? For example, um, we have what have been the policies that have constantly supported growth in provinces like Guangdong, Jiangsu, Shandong, and Zhejiang, the usual top four. Mike. Well, I think the, the policies um, are largely benefited from or, or been driven by you know, geographic location. So these provinces, mm-hmm. you know, it's no, uh, sort of, uh, it's not by chance. These provinces are uh, generally coastal. They've benefited from. Uh, international exposure, international trade, and, and policies that have furthered the development of the, the international uh, international trade uh, right around the world, from from Guangdong, Jiangsu, and Zhejiang and Shandong. Zhejiang is famous for um, a lot of trade, a lot of entrepreneurial activity, and I think the you know, local government have really just nurtured this and, and um, helped that develop. They've also relied very heavily, as a lot of Chinese provinces have in the past, on real estate as well. So these mm-hmm. top four uh, real estate industries in these these four provinces have, have benefited very, very much. Okay, there's a bit of a bubble, a bit of a slowdown now, as Professor Guthrie highlighted. Um, a bit of a concern, I think, a major concern, but these things happen. So I think they, the local government have really just furthered the, the development of uh, trade, international trade, uh, more market-oriented businesses. Uh, it, they tend to do a lot more work uh, from these provinces internationally, and, and I think the local government have really, um, really fed that. Mm. Uh, Central and Western China are at a geographical disadvantage. That's changing now with infrastructure development across China, Belt and Road in particular. But these provinces have really benefited most from their, their geographic location, obviously proximity to Hong Kong as well for Guangdong. Uh, so I think local government have really been, as they are now recently, what we're talking about, being very entrepreneurial and developing trade uh, domestically and internationally within these provinces. Mm. Well, maybe let's put it that, uh, this way. It's like a combination of policies that have uh, promoted growth in these uh, top four uh, economies. Um as Mike has uh, said, um, you know, cities across eastern and southern coastal provinces in China have arguably benefited the most from uh, the rise of free trade and manufacturing since China's opening up in 1979. Uh, Dr. Zhou Mi, so as China moves into the era of high-quality development and Chinese modernization, which is a strategy taken by the Chinese Communist Party during its 20th National Congress in 2022, 
Dr. Zhou, what will be the new opportunities for China's northern and western parts? How should they seize the momentum? Yes, we know that in the past、uh, maybe forty years, that China benefited by the involvement or integration with the world order and trying to benefit from the manufacturing abilities to support the demand in the developed countries. Well, these demands are still there, maybe not as you know developed as quicker as the past. So we are seeing that there are more opportunities, maybe coming from other areas in the world, from the developing countries, from the、uh, the emerging economies. So the integration of those areas are becoming、uh, more stronger and more resilient in the sustainable ways of development. I would say that、uh, there are still a lot of difficulties. We are looking at the infrastructure, as the societies,、uh, as a lot of、uh, mechanism are not. Not so perfect,、mm. but we are still benefiting from the the urbanization and the industrialization of those regions. I would see that will benefit also for the western part and northern part of China, and they are having are、uh, more advantages compared with the eastern part because they are nearer compared with those places. But、uh, that is from one aspect, and another one I would see that、uh, the development of the trade in services, the trade in services has provided so many opportunities. I mean. Also, the digital trade—they are providing those places which are far away, so they can take advantage of the internet, of、uh, the artificial intelligence, or even big data, the cloud computing. Many of the technology has provided their abilities to connect it in the in the new world. Well,、mm-hmm. the third one for with the modernization—it is also lived in China. I mean, there are so many opportunities also in China with the integration of the domestic market. There are more. Demand maybe it's happened in the past with another country, but now it's happening in China. So I would say that is also our opportunities for those、uh, provinces in the western and the northern part of China. But the last one I I need to address that、uh, mm. there are still many of the cooperation between the eastern part and the western and the northern part of China. So they are cooperating on developing technology on. Better, you know,、uh, along the supply chain, some some new things happened to do with、uh, digital、uh, economies, to do with、uh, the green economies, and also the you know the integration、uh, of the manufacturing and the services. So there are so many opportunities that、uh, these regions can explore, not only just by doing trade with the developed countries. So we can still doing trade with them, but、uh, there are still many more spaces that they can explore. Mm, indeed, digitalization, green economy—all of this will be the new opportunities. Now, Professor Guthrie, in your recent trip that you mentioned、uh, in December, do you have、uh, this? Do you sense, you know, among local economies to try to move into the high-quality development era that I that we're talking about? And what do you think will be the new opportunities for China's uh,、um, western and northern parts? Yeah, so it's a wonderful question because I, I think you you do see in China just as you do in other places, but China is so large and diverse and 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 populous that、um, there's a tremendous amount of diversity across China. And so we have seen over the course, starting in the nineteen late nineteen seventies, the seven nineteen seventy nine with China's economic opening, we saw the Eastern Seaboard develop rapidly,、uh, mm-hmm. and we saw the inner part and the western part of China be a little slower in in development. But I think what's the really interesting Lesson here、mm. is not just that capital is going to go where、uh, it's convenient, like、mm. the Eastern Seaboard, but what's really important about China's economic development strategy is the development of specializations,、mm. the development of industrial clusters, for example. So, in the manufacturing sector, it doesn't just work to build factories. You have to find partners.、Um, you know, in some of my work in the past, I've worked with organizations like Apple and. One of the things that was so effective、mm. uh, in the development of Apple in China was the the ways in which the company partnered with localities in building industrial clusters that specialized in things that you've never heard of.、Mm. Um, or if you know, to go back to the Zhenjiang example, on that same trip I went to visit Changzhou,、mm. and Changzhou, you know, the specialization in electric vehicles and electric vehicle technology.、Mm. Um, You know, these are things that you don't typically think of if you're a, just a student growing up and thinking, where do I want to live? 
but the ways in which local officials help those local economies specialize, I think is really the lesson. And so to the extent that the Western part of China can continue to be not just a place of a lot of labor, but the place of real economic specializations in industry, but also in tourism and culture. I think that's the lesson. And that's that's the beauty of what we're seeing in China's economic development process. Mm. Mike, then do you think there will be a trend of uh, even distribution of, uh, you know, economic size among different, uh, you know, parts in China in the future? Mike. I think it will be more even, yeah, mm-hmm. as the panelists have just alluded to. We, we, there's no reason why the, the sort of poorer parts of China that have lagged behind, obviously, with the, the special economic zones, the, the coastal provinces. Um, uh, so we're talking about northwest China, you know, central China. There's no reason why they can't benefit and, and almost sort of catch up, and, and I think they will. So I think we'll see far more even economic development, and that really is where the growth almost has to come from now. These, these major cities, perhaps the first-tier cities, are to a certain extent saturated, saturated markets. Growth has to come from second- and third-tier cities and those poorer provinces. Uh, and, I, and again, no reason why that can't happen or is happening. It can't happen very quickly. And, and the infrastructure is being put in place as well now. Uh, and the service sector, the cultural attractions are there as well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that really is a uh, yeah, very exciting next step, really, in China's economic development, where the, the wealth and the, the, the economic activity will spread and is spreading mm-hmm. across the country, almost from east to west. Uh, and well, on my trips back to China, I tend to, to try to focus on those parts of China that are really um, developing quicker now and catching up with, with the, the eastern side of China, so typically Chongqing, Lanzhou, uh, which are really sort of central hubs now for economic development across that wider region mm. in the, the, the center and the, the west, west of China. Yeah, so so very exciting times. Mm. And I think younger generations, again, make this point. I think they're, they're changing. I think they're, they're not um, driven by the need to be in Beijing or be in Shanghai. They don't have to <laughs> right. have a career in a first-tier city. It mm. can happen outside of those first-tier cities. They can stay local. They can Mike, stay mm. close to their roots. Well, uh, and, and yeah, more of that. Mm. we have about a minute to wrap up the conversation. But Dr. Zhou, briefly, I want to mention Hefei in Anhui province because Hefei has been mentioned by the media quite a lot in the past few years as a success example. The city is a thriving cluster of cutting edge science and tech. So briefly, maybe in 30 seconds, Dr. Zhou, what's, uh, what experiences can Hefei provide? I think that uh, for the mm-hmm. benefits of Hefei, they have a very good education and uh, also the science, the basis for them. So there are so many people with uh, high uh, intelligence. And also, I, I would say that uh, the, the business uh, there are real good, like for the houses, prices are not that expensive. Then they are trying to connect with uh, surrounding provinces. That would be some of the reasons why Hefei has uh, so many uh, good achievements. Mm. Well, I wish we had more time, but uh, indeed, that's all the time we have for this edition of World Today. We have with us Dr. Zhou Mi from Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, Professor Doug Guthrie from Thunderbird School of Global Management, and Mike Bastin from University of Southampton. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Thank you for staying with us. Bye for now.